This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And we're going to get back to kicking writing in the butt one word at a time very quickly because uh, we're going to skip over the chit-chat today and get right back into this series where Taylor is going through some material that was sent in from author M.Z. Lowe. Um, in today's episode, Taylor is going to be answering some of the questions that she read last week. So depending on the level of detail that Taylor goes into with these answers, uh, we may get through them all or that that may roll into next week as well. So Taylor, take it away. Well, thank you. And since we are skipping the chit chat, I think that gives us a little bit of time that I can reread the segment so that we have it fresh in our minds as we go back and focus on the questions. Uh, I know we were having uh, recording uh, audio glitches with our last episode. I'm hopeful that if it was too glitchy last time, that maybe this will be easier to understand. So that's another reason for wanting to read it again. So here we go. And again, this is submitted by author M. Zilo. Patty yelled, stop it, you bloody bastards. That caught their attention. Tom's nose was bleeding and Fred sported a black eye, but they refused to let go of each other's throats. They panted hard and growled, their animals pushing to the fore. Patty strode toward the men. I am not some freaking prize at a jousting match. Becca didn't trust the feral gaze consuming those two. They weren't hearing Patty through their bloodlust, so she tugged the woman closer to her side and shuffled backwards. Good thing, too. Tom kicked free and rolled into a crouch. In a blink, both men shifted to their animals. Werewolf versus snow leopard wasn't going to end well for anyone. Foolish to step in the middle of those razor-sharp claws and teeth. She preferred not to get shredded again. With a firm grip on Patty, Becca looked around for help. Still no alpha or police. Typical. Always alone. A blood-curdling snarl drew Becca's attention back to the men. Fred's wolf lacked the grace and speed, but he knew how to fight with a terrifying viciousness. Becca's lungs burned, closing off her windpipe. Not now. Please not now. But her mind succumbed to the horrid memories trapped in a cage, watching men forced to fight, death matches, and desert warlords betting on winners. Tears pricked her eyes. Fists clenched, metal bars rattling in her ears. She had failed another dead. Stop it. Stupid. Focus. Instead, her heart bruised her ribs with its beating. She hated this weakness, but the nightmare didn't care. Smells of sweat and blood turned her stomach. She pinched her thigh, noticed the details. She squeezed her eyes shut and opened them, freezing temperatures against her skin, mountains behind the building, and no weight of a camera around her neck. Right, Alaska. No longer a photojournalist kidnapped, praying for rescue. Pixel by pixel, the past released its images and breaths became easier. Patty lunged, but Becca hugged the woman to her chest. She couldn't stop the desert spectacle and save the men all those years ago, but by everything holy, she would protect Patty. Fred's wolf latched onto the throat of Tom's snow leopard. Tom clawed and batted, drawing more blood, but Fred held fast, victory assured. 
Patty lunged again and shrieked the cry of an animal caught in a metal trap, but Becca yanked backwards with all her strength. She swore she heard ghosts screaming from the past. She must stop the madness. Jail time would be worth it, penance for then and now. With one hand, she rummaged through her satchel for the alert whistle. Becca blasted long and loud. All the shifters in a six-block radius howled in pain, but at least that also included Fred releasing the snow leopard. Too bad the distraction didn't last, as he recovered first and bit again. Thankfully, Alpha Tate arrived, rubbing his ears. Fred, release him. Stand down, son. And that is the end of that segment. And now we start the first round of questions. So question number one. Is it better to sprinkle flashbacks and physical reactions in between the block tackle description of the fight or delve into the flashback and come back a single time? And here's my answer. There are exceptions to every rule. (laughs) And the answer is going to vary based on the unique qualities of a scene in question. It's going to depend on how long the flashback is and how much block and tackling description is going on and how long the scene itself is and what else is going on in the scene that might require movement beats. The hack, the hack the craft hack for story elements in general reads like belongs with like. And the way this plays out in practicality is if you're describing a character all the important visual description of that character goes together in the same place. In scene setting, all the important visual elements for setting the stage go in the same place, and new stuff is only added as the character moves through the scene, sees and experiences new things or whatever. Character insights into any given thing, another character, place, time, whatever, they stay together, etc., 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 on down the line. Like belongs with like, And this includes flashbacks, generally speaking. Now, for stylistic reasons, an author might want to do, like, for example, a beat-by-beat. Flashback to present, flashback to present, a sort of a comparison of then and now. And, you know, there are other reasons for breaking that rule. But just in a general sense, like always goes with like. And if you try and break up the block and tackle of a scene with flashbacks in between, the interruption, generally speaking, is going to kill both forms of tension, both the present block and tackle part of it and the flashback sequence. It's going to be too interruptive, and it's going to just kill any momentum that you've been building up, and then it's likely going to cause reader confusion on top of it. So in this particular scene, where the flashback and the block and tackle descriptions are both short, they're just like a couple short paragraphs each, you definitely want to keep like with like. If we were talking like a page-long flashback and a page of block and tackle description, there would be a lot more wiggle room for coming in and out of both of them. And depending on the content, there might even be a need to interject something in between the two or come back and tie them together again, just because if you go too long without re-anchoring the reader where you are and what's going on, it's easy to lose grip on the threads that you're spinning. But here, in this particular instance, there are so few words being spent 
on either one, like the past and the present, that keeping like with like is really the only way to do it. I wouldn't recommend doing any other way than how it's done right now or how I think it's done right now. The second question is, would your advice change if the point of view was Fred or Tom? In other words, would the, the advice change if the point of view was somebody who's actually in the fight versus somebody who's observing the fight? My answer to this is, in general, like goes with like would still stand, regardless of whose head we're in at the time. But like I mentioned earlier, writing a fight sequence from within the point of view character's head versus writing that same sequence from the point of view of an observer are two very different things. And like I also mentioned before, who the stuff is happening to and how that character feels about it and isn't experiencing it, that matters just as much as what is happening. And these all open up numerous variables that take us back to, well, it depends. Because the, all of those things can change whether the advice changes. So when we're inside the head of a character who is experiencing the fight, there are more possibilities for exception to the like belongs with like rule. Not just in regard to the flashbacks, but in regards to interjecting emotional beats and responses to what's happening. All those are opportunities for exceptions, and they're going to vary depending on what else is going on in the scene, who the characters are, how long the scene is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in this example specifically, the advice of like goes with like, it's going to be the same regardless of whose head we were in because the flashback and the block and tackle descriptions are just so short, I mean, relatively speaking. And there just isn't room to cut in and out without a huge risk of adding confusion or diluting the tension. If you wanted to do a back and forth and you were doing it from within a point of, a point of view character's head, you would need a lot more substance of the scene to make it work in a way that's not confusing. You need the words to provide the space. And to make it really clear when we're shifting in, when we're shifting out. And you can't just add those words without content to go with it. And if the content is just a repetition of more of the same of what we're already experiencing, it's going to get boring. So the biggest rule you can violate is the one that says don't bore your reader. So unless there's actually a reason to add more content and make the scene bigger, longer, wordier. There's no reason to try and force shifting in and out of the flashback for the present. It doesn't give you anything. The only reason to do it in a much longer, already existing longer sequence is to make sure we're still anchored to what the where the character is, what they're feeling, why they're feeling it, how it relates to the present, and so on. So you're much better off sticking to the rule of like belongs with like unless there's a specific reason for violating it versus violating the rule and then trying to build a specific reason into the story to justify it. I hope that makes sense. Okay. The next question is, 
Is it better to stick with more telling of the past? We're speaking of flashbacks here. Is it better to stick with more telling of the past to keep pacing fast or go all out in show, don't tell? In other words, if you're going to do a flashback, then you do it fully. So in attempting to answer this question, I'm going to detour first with an explanation about flashbacks that I wrote a while ago in a Patreon post where I uploaded a sneak peek preview of the work in progress that I'm working on right now, which is the fulcrum. I had just completely gutted all the material that I had up to that point and did a massive rewrite on it. It took me forever. And in uploading that to Patreon, I was doing a chapter by chapter breakdown of why I had made the changes that I had made in the rewrites. And one of those specifically pertained to flashbacks. So I'm going to read that material here uh, to provide sort of like a baseline understanding of where I'm coming from with this. So it's when I'm talking about the story, I'm specifically talking about the fulcrum, not the segment that was submitted for this episode. So that previous quote that I had written said, this is a story wherein the wheels to whatever is happening have already been put in motion long before the story itself started. It's a story in which a whole second cast of characters has to be introduced after the first one, and in which way too much pertinent detail needs to get set out before the big action can start. In a story like this, there are essentially two ways to go about introducing that second set of characters and all the pertinent details. The first is to do so chronologically through real-time action. This means setting up scenes and scripting out dialogue and building out all the necessary bookends to show what's happening as it happens. The benefit of writing in real-time is that scenes shown in real-time feel, well, real. There's a certain emotional investment generated because everything is in motion. It's in progress. There's this sense of immediacy. It's all happening right now. But the downside to writing in real time is that real time requires a lot of words and story space. And if that story space doesn't contain its own conflict or purpose beyond the fact that the characters need to be introduced or the information needs to be relayed, it's going to feel wrong and like transition filler, and it's going to get boring really fast. Avoiding boring and feeling like transition filler often means creating whole story threads and tangents, and sometimes those story threads and tangents end up detracting from the main storyline, all because you're trying to find a realistic and engaging way to introduce characters or convey necessary information. The second way you can introduce characters and convey pertinent detail is through flashbacks. Flashbacks, especially when they go longer than just a paragraph or so, essentially become a story within a story. The benefit of using flashbacks is that you get to skip all the extra words and scene setting and setup and potential distracting threads and tangents required to make the character introduction and information feel organic and more than filler. So you can get to the point faster, and this helps keep the pacing from getting bogged down. But the downside is, Flashbacks 
can't generate the same emotional investment that real time can, because everything in them has already happened. In flashbacks, there's nothing immediate, nothing in the moment. Too much of this will create an emotional distance where the reader starts to become a bit detached from it all. That's why you'll often see longer flashbacks switch into present tense, because even though the reader knows what's happening in the flashback is stuff that's already happened, when it's written in the present tense, it still creates that sense of immediacy, which in turn generates emotional investment, which is to say stuff that's written and shown in real time is always going to be more interesting and more engaging than anything written and shown as the past. And because flashbacks aren't able to generate the same level of emotional engagement as scenes written in real time, it's nearly impossible for them to carry the full story momentum on their own. By necessity, flashbacks have to be bookended by stuff that's happening in the here and now. So that is our baseline understanding of flashbacks versus real time. And now that we have that, let's look at that question again. Is it better to stick with more telling of the past to keep the pacing fast or go all out in show don't tell? In other words, if you're gonna do a flashback, then do it fully. And the answer, as I'm sure you've guessed by now, is it depends. So with a few notable exceptions, flashbacks are generally not the main storyline. They exist to support and bolster your main storyline. And the storyline itself is going to be what determines whether or not all those show don't tell details bolster it or not. Are those details interesting in their own right? Do they help generate more emotion and engagement than going without? Above all else, flashbacks have to adhere to the same guiding principle. Any other scene, any other detail of the story has to adhere to, and that is the principle of serving purpose. So, as with any other scene, if the details, the information, or anything else that goes in the flashback is there, it has to be there for a reason. And if building out a full show-don't-tell flashback doesn't reveal character, heighten conflict, or move the plot forward in a way that not doing it that way would, well, then that's your answer. If the full show-don't-tell treatment does need all that criteria of serving a purpose and it belongs, then you've got to ask yourself, does that material in the flashback actually belong in flashback at all? Would it be better served or stronger being shown in real time? And lots of times the answer is, well, yeah, sure, it would be better served in real time, but it doesn't, it needs to belong here right now. And the only way for that to happen chronologically is by flashback. So that that's fine. You just you just have to know if if that's where it belongs or not because if you're flashing back to if it does belong there but it might have been better served in real time then it's a case of well are you referencing in this flashback something that showed up early in the story is it even something that's shown up in the story at all because if this is not the first time it's being brought up, if these flashbacks attach to 
something else that we've either shown or flashed back on before or discussed before. It's not like, surprise, hey, and the reader is already familiar with the subject. Then the question is, well, is this particular flashback where those details belong? That's if the answer to your question is, well, yeah, of course, this would be better in real time, but the flashback has to go here. Okay, fine. But all those show don't don't tell details. Do they need to go here? Because if you've been referencing this flashback scenario elsewhere and we're already familiar with it, is there another place where they belong that is more pacing appropriate? Those are the questions that you need to ask yourself. So then. Answering this question specifically as it rates, relates to the flashback in this scene, the block and tackle descriptions that bookend the flashback here, they're too short to support a full show-don't-tell flashback. A really descriptive, detailed flashback here would carry so much story weight, at least relative to the real-time bookends that are sandwiching it, that it would basically consume the main storyline and the fight in the parking lot would just sort of barely blip the radar. So as far as this particular scene and this particular flashback, my suggestion is no, you do not need to tell this in a full show don't tell with all the details. You don't have to do it fully. Hopefully we already know enough of what she's flashing back on that this just completes it. If this material that's in this flashback doesn't exist anywhere else in the book, and this is the only time we're hearing about it, then we have a story problem. But I strongly suggest suggest that is not the case. If that is the case, get back with me and we'll work on that. But you don't want to have this small of a flashback at the end of the book as the first time we're hearing about it. That is really not going to work. So that's a subject for another time, and I don't even think that would come into play here. So the next question is, do your answers change if this was the actual climax of the story? That is, does weight of the scene matter? And my answer, well, speaking generally, the weight of the scene absolutely matters. But it's not the only thing that matters. There are so many other factors that combine together to determine whether a full show-don't-tell treatment of a flashback would be the right thing or not. And all of those factors are variables, and they're going to change from story to story, and they're going to change from writing style to writing style. So it's impossible for me to say, well, yeah, my answer changes or it doesn't change. I don't know. It's just going to depend so much on the particulars that you're dealing with in that given situation. And speaking specifically to this scene, I don't have a way to measure this little small segment against all the scenes that came before it. And I don't have any sense of what follows, how the climax of the crescendo is going to read. So I, I can't really know one way or the other. But I do think that the process of working through the factors that we just talked about to decide whether the flashback should be there or not, or whether it's better served in a, you know, just quick telling to keep the pacing going or a full show don't tell scene. That decision working process, that's the same regardless. You got to look at it as part of the whole and go, 
is this scene better served by telling all of these details? And if so, is here where I need to tell them or should I get them earlier into the story so that by the time we get to this, I don't need to and I can just keep the pacing moving. The next question is, is it better to pick a flashback that most readers have experienced, like playground bullying, to hit on personal resonance or go for the traumatic past that haunts the character. This story is a work in process, so this is option is still flexible. And this question kind of stumped me. I have never even considered this question before, and for a while I wasn't even sure I understood the question. So this is really just a gut response to what I think is being asked, and other authors might answer quite differently. And I'm thinking specifically, like, for example, young adult authors might have an exact opposite response to mine. And I think the question, the reason the question threw me is because I'm very literal. I I process exactly what is being said, and I respond to exactly what is being said, and I'm very bad at reading between the lines. But so on the surface here, This question, it appears to treat flashbacks to me, in my very little sense, as something separate from the whole, almost like they're just bracketed placeholders, spaces that need to be filled, fill in the blanks with whatever's most convenient. But when I look at the question sideways and I hold it up to the light and squint real hard, I think this isn't actually a question about flashbacks. It's a question about character building. And I think. What the question itself is really attempting to touch on is the issue of reader-character relatability. So as real-life humans, like not fictional characters, even though sometimes we might like to imagine ourselves as them, our past informs our present. Who we are now, today, is directly connected to all the things in our lives that have brought us to this particular point in time. It is impossible for us to escape our past, and the only way we can alter our behavior to that past or our behavior, our reactions, is with a lot of insight, maybe some good therapy, a lot of self-reflection, and making a decision, conscious decision, to put the past behind us. So in fiction, flashbacks are, by definition, events that have happened in the past to the character or characters that are in this story that are right in front of us. And so what this question is really asking is, am I better off highlighting the parts of my character's life that readers can relate to, or am I better off highlighting the actual trauma that's driving this flashback? And I think that's why different authors would have different answers, because in my genre, the books that I write, Figuring out how to make a character relatable to the audience never even enters the discussion. Monroe is not a relatable character. Doesn't matter. We still love her or hate her or whatever. Same with Jack and Jill. Those are not relatable characters when you look at their lives as a whole, right? And I imagine that YA stories are quite the opposite. For example, using this YA fiction as the first thing that popped into my head. Um, because their relatability, I believe, probably does matter a lot. And I'm not really sure where 
cozy paranormal would fall into that mix. So I don't know exactly how it would relate to this genre, but my gut instinct on this is entirely informed by the expectation of my genre. So take this answer with a grain of salt. But my instinct is saying, make your characters real, make their lives real, make their responses to what has happened in their lives real. And my instinct is saying that if you try to adapt your character to meet the expectations of your audience, if you try and make your character's emotional responses relatable to sort of this generic, general understanding, common experience thing, you are robbing your story of the deepest emotional resonance that it's capable of providing. You're basically watering that emotional resonance down. So your audience, your audience does not need to have been kidnapped and held hostage and forced to witness brutality in order to empathize with pain and fear and helplessness. If your character experiences feel real, then her reactions to those experiences will feel real. The emotional resonance isn't necessarily generated by working off a same, same life experience. It's generated by working off a similar emotion. And if your readers know what it's like to feel helpless, even if the circumstances that they were in when they felt helpless were different, they're still going to connect with that sense of helplessness. And you can do it without being in your fa- in the face about it or watering down by going, oh, look, bullying or some common experience. You just have to tie the emotions together, that the emotions feel real because what's happening feels the same, even though the circumstances are different. I don't know if I'm making sense there. Okay, look at it this way. Let's say you experience some really traumatic event in your life. And let's say that traumatic event influences how you view and interact with the world. I mean, it is impossible for it not to. It's just a matter of what degree it's influencing your views and interactions with the world. So if later on you experience something that made you feel really helpless and threw you back to a bad place mentally, would your first way of engaging with that helplessness be to remember something common that happens to a lot of people that also happened to you? And maybe it was bad, but it wasn't the most helplessness you've ever felt. Or would you immediately be taken back to the most similar, awful, and likely far more recent helplessness you experienced? I think it's fairly safe to say that most of the people answering that question would say, well, yeah, of course, obviously, I would be thrown back into the worst similarity of what happened here, because that's what triggering is. So if you have a story where you have lined up, already lined up these bad things that have happened to your character, and you don't use those bad things when it really matters, you're basically just cutting off your own arms and your own legs in your storytelling. Now, if nothing has been lined up in advance to bring us to this flashback or this memory, that, again, is that whole separate issue. And yes, you have the option to make it whatever it is you want, but It's just not going to, if the character doesn't have a reason to feel so strongly and have a flashback over something that really, really impacted her, and the flashback is to something pretty, I don't want to say mundane, because that that mocks how 
horrible it feels to be bullied. And I by no means intend to do that. It's just an awful, awful thing. Billy bullies. Anyway. But it is also a very common experience. And some people's bullying experiences were not traumatic. They were annoying. They were like just a thing they had to get through to survive middle school. But it's not like it truly upended their lives. So you got to think, if you're using that as your character's triggering response, then how seriously can people take your character? All of that has to be weighted in. So personally, I think that it's a mistake to try and go, oh, I need to make my character relatable. So I'm going to throw away this opportunity to dig really deep into their psyche, whatever deep means for the genre that you're writing. And I'm going to use this other thing that more people might be able to relate to. It's going to backfire. That's my that's my gut instinct. This is going to backfire on you, and it's going to uh, have the opposite effect than what you expected. But again, these this gut check response, this instinctive response from me, is based on the expectations of the books that I've written, of the way readers have reacted to my books, the way I react to the books that I read, and they none of those are cozy paranormal stories. So you have to take this and weigh it against what your own gut is telling you about the stories that you write and how your readers respond to what you're writing. So I would say that the, I think that it would be the most normal and natural response, the honest instinct to return to the, the the truly traumatic experience that your character had. That's me. But if you think it would be normal and natural and honest to return to the further away, less serious memory, then that's probably the right way to go for your story because that same worldview has already likely influenced the rest of how you've told your story. And so if you've been writing your story one way, and then all of a sudden, based on this advice, you go way off in the opposite direction and focus on this serious trauma thing, that's going to ring false and inconsistent with the rest of what you've already created. But if the reason you're asking this question is because your gut is telling you to go with the more recent, more connected trauma but you're worried that your audience might not be able to relate to it. And you're worried that it won't be as impactful because they're unable to relate to it and won't be as powerful as it should. Then you should probably follow your gut that's telling you to do it. And don't worry about the questions because your audience, they will adapt. They will adjust as long as it's real to your character it and the character's, sense of helplessness and her responses are real to her and real for the context and fits with every other part of the story, then they're going to feel, feel it too. That is my take on that. And I think that also probably closes us out for time. Um, that wrapped up all of the questions on, um, on flashbacks. We didn't get to the questions that are more specifically related, related to evoking emotion in the reader but that will follow with next week.
All right. So, yeah, we went a little bit over on time, and I, I, so I'm glad you wrapped it up when you did. Uh, thank you guys very much for listening. Next week, tune in. Uh, we're going to start getting to the really good stuff, and hopefully next week we'll have some video for you as well. Right, Taylor? That is definitely my hope. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> crossed, guys. <laughs> Thank you for being with us uh, again this week. We look forward to uh, chatting with you again next week. And we will see you next week. Thanks for being here.